Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello, everybody, and welcome to your latest episode of The Ruck, the rugby podcast from The Times and Sunday Times. I'm Alex Lowe in London. There's no Will Kelleher this week because he has had the arduous task of going to the World Rugby Awards in Monaco. Um, But I am joined by Alan Dimmock. So A, welcome back to the pod, Al, and B, welcome back on a big day for you. Yeah. It is, a, it is a big day, actually, isn't it? This is a, hello, everyone. Uh, this is my first day as editor of Rugby World. So I'm bouncing like I've been paid to be in a football stadium. So did you miss out on a, a glittering trip to Monaco by one weekend? Will you, you'll be there next year, presumably. Uh, yeah, like consider this a shot across the bows of World Rugby. I should be there next year, Alex. But yes, my, my, my predecessor was out there anyway. But I, I believe that that's got nothing to do with Rugby World magazine. So I'm fingers crossed tightly that I'll, I'll get the call up next year. It's a good event to go to. Um, I've been there a few times, but this year it's a bit of a weird one because it's at the end of the official international window, but England and South Africa play on Saturday and Wales host Australia. So I don't think they had anyone down there, but they weren't. Well, I mean, we'll get into it because we can talk about not having anyone down there anyway. I mean, how many players of Australia got left for the last game? How many many players are South Africa able to pick? But we can get torn into that a little bit later. Man, it's been it's been crazy. So have we got have we got a big first edition of Rugby World to look forward to? Always. I'm already having sleepless nights, Alex. <laughs> right. So coming up on the pod, all the action from the last weekend of uh, of the Autumn Nation series, the draw at Twickenham between England and New Zealand, Georgia's historic victory in Cardiff over over Wales, and all the other drama, which started on Friday night with Portugal drawing 16 all with the United States and clinching their place at the Rugby World Cup at the expense of the USA, who we now hear are going to dig deep in their pockets to try and recruit Eddie Jones to take them through to, to their home World Cup. We have the Portugal captain, Thomas Appleton, joining us on the pod. We'll have our usual God or Goddess of the Week. Um, a man who will not be in the running for that is Razi Erasmus. Lots of chat about him, banned again from Twickenham. Will Kelleher has uh, sent a dispatch from Monaco. He had a chat to Alan Gilpin, World Rugby's chief executive, about Razzie and various other bits. That is coming up. But first, let's dive into the Autumn Nation series and another jam-packed weekend of Test Rugby. Right, Al, we have to start Twickenham. We were both there on Saturday evening. Game under the lights. They put on a good show before kickoff. Uh, what did you make of of England, the consensus seems to be yet another occasion where we don't quite know where this England team is going to end up. Are they going to be the team they could be, or are they going to carry on being the team that we saw for certainly the first 40 and much of the rest of the game? Well, immediately after the game, 
in the, in the press area, Ian Foster came in and said, I should probably do two press conferences, one about the first 70 minutes and one about the last 10 minutes. And, you know, a little bit inside baseball here for people. Um, there was a lot of frustrated faces in the press box, uh, Kiwi or, or English or otherwise, <laughs> because uh, a lot of people have to file match reports on the whistle and basically had to rip it up and start again with that one because it looked for all the world like England had... Played a bit of a stink. I mean, they'd completely fallen out. A bit of a stink. Uh, yeah, they'd completely fallen out um, with the, the match officials. Um, but they just nothing seemed to be clicking. And then the last ten minutes, yes, there was a red, there was a sorry, a yellow card for Borden Barrett. But England were just decided to just roll, and everything clicked. And for a lot of the game, and it's been a frustration of seeing England try and figure out this Smith Farrell axis for a wee while now. Is is if you're going to have talents like this who for their respective clubs, will play close to the line, seem to be playing 20 metres behind the game line. And then all of a sudden, quick ball, front foot ball, we see Marcus Smith taking the ball to the line and, oh, wow, that's good stuff. Have a little bit of a delay on a pass and, oh, Manitou Laggy's through a hole. And it's it is exactly what England fans have been crying out for for so long. But you're right, it's a head-scratcher. Because you go, 10 minutes, okay, they could have beaten the All Blacks uh, in, in a universe, and we can get into whether the ball should have been kicked out um, at the end of the game or not and, and secured a draw. But it's, an, it's a fascinating one because England left it so late to do something great, and that seems to have been the story of Eddie Jones's last couple of years with England. Some things look bleak, and then all of a sudden, oh, we've pulled something out yeah. of the bag. But also, they're playing against the South African side this weekend, who are shorn of so many stars either due through suspension or unavailability because this match is outside the test window. So I was just looking at some of the key names that won't be playing. Colby, um, Pollard, Reinach, Detoy, De Jaeger, Snyman, Koch, Nyukani, Visa, Esther Hazen. Now, the conveyor belt of talent in South Africa is ridiculous, but that's a hell of a list of people missing. So... It, you know, it it seems like we're not doing our job here, but at the moment, there's still a big question mark about England. Uh, uh, that was definitely... So just on the inside baseball point, um, the guys who were scratching their heads having to fire on the whistle it meant a, a pretty drastic rewrite at the top of their match reports. Those of us who, for production reasons, have been asked to file their ratings after 75 minutes <laughs> um, had... Uh, put it this way, they needed a pretty sharp rewrite after at the end of the game because... Well, most of the starters um, held firm. There were a couple of, of players who were integral to the end of that that last 10 minutes. And, and the first edition of the Sunday Times did not necessarily reflect their full contribution to the game. It's one of the... It's why digital is the way forward. It's why we're digital first. But the print edition didn't help. Well, Eddie Jones said after the game, magic dust. And the game needed some bloody magic dust because yeah. it, it felt a bit, you know... for. <laughs> It seems a bit harsh on the All Blacks, this, actually, because whilst the game was very staccato and there was stoppages galore, New Zealand were ruthless when they got their chance, which is why they must be kicking themselves extra hard right now, because could could you argue they threw it away? But, but two sides in this, England decided to certainly show their best. Yeah, I, and I think that's that was the general feeling. There were, there were fans streaming past me on the final whistle, still furious by what they witnessed, certainly for the first half. The, the, the second half before England finally worked out how to actually score a try, a lot of the time we hear coaches or players go, well, at least we're creating opportunities. And that wears very thin when you hear that over and over again. There have been whole England coaching regimes who spent their entire time going, well, at least we're creating opportunities. We just need to finish them. Then they never do. England eventually found out how to finish them. 
But they had seven attacks in that second half where they were, they looked threatening but couldn't score. As a coach, I can understand why you take some positives out of that element. The first half, they were beaten in every facet of the game. They were outthought, outmuscled, outplayed. And like you say, they started to get lectured by the referee. The referee was um, Mathieu Reynal was, was quite pernickety, but the game was so stop-start. And the All Blacks just had to be ruthless. They just took their chances. They didn't create an awful lot really. England managed to scramble and deal with that cross kick. But every time they got the ball, they have athletes and options that make you think they could score here at any second. And and that, that's what England didn't have until until they found the magic dust, until they actually found the, the combination on the field that worked. And Henry Slade coming on as a third playmaker made a massive difference. The England been carrying Owen Farrell for almost all of that second half. Well, yeah, I was going to ask you about this because Farrell... <sighs> seemed to have hurt his leg, wasn't able to kick. And yeah. all of a sudden it transformed how that England backline played. Looking back on it again yesterday, the first half, one of the issues that I can't quite work out why it doesn't work is that Smith and Farrell seem to think that everything has to go through both of them before they do anything. It's too predictable. And what's, what happened really because Farrell was limping and any other player would have been taken off was that for about half an hour in the second half, everything went through Marcus Smith and suddenly he's playing flatter and suddenly that encourages everyone else to play flatter. And like you say, he's he's either making breaks or he's putting players through gaps. And Eddie, or... and Eddie Jones says that was the best test he's seen him play. Yeah. So, but, you know, one on one equals two sometimes, you know? And actually by the end, once Farrell's ankle sort of loosened up a bit, he he came back into the game and played, played really, really well. He was hitting the game line hard, playing that kind of more of a classic 12 role. And by that time, Henry Slade is on the field and the three of them combined beautifully because they were they were benefiting from the front foot ball that they hadn't really generated enough of. And suddenly England played the way that we know we can play. So you had, like I said, you had fans streaming out really crossed by the first half and frustrated by most of the second. But then they were also leaving feeling, well, that's what we know that England can do. And we, we've seen it... Um, we saw it in Australia for 20, 25 minutes in the first half of that second test. We saw it at the end of the um, South Africa test a year ago. Uh, and as you say, Al, the problem the problem is that we seem to only see it in, in adversity when they either have to try and get out of a hole or they've dug themselves into such a deep hole like they did in Australia, chucking away that first test. That the only way to react was the way they did react. And as Marrow said afterwards speaking to us and it echoed the thoughts of myself and everyone else in the stadium is why does it take being punched in the face for them to play well? And my, my concern for England and despite the list of players that you just outlined, if they wait to be punched in the face by the spring box, it could be too late for them. Well, it's interesting. I've got a, a friend uh, in the industry who's working theory is because test rugby is so competitive now because there's so many good or decent teams at the top now, which is great for everyone, particularly the neutrals, is tests often come down to who needs it the most. Mm. And it's an interesting one. Like England seem to only need it the most when they've they've got a whack in the in the chops, um, metaphorically speaking. Also, just a dispatch directly at South Africans who potentially say, oh, why, why is no one mentioning this? There was an incident in the game where Owen Farrell was so frustrated with Matthew Reynal that he, he did hint at potentially that a lot of penalties were going in one direction. Um, but of course, that's your job as a skipper to sort that yeah. out. That's your job as a team to sort that out and think on your feet in mm-hmm. the game. And I suppose looking at the end of the match, it was odds even uh, in terms of 
numbers of penalties each team. Um, but they, they, they pulled something pretty sensational out. So I'm going to ask you directly, Alex. Mm. Should Marcus Smith have kicked the ball out of the pitch? Yeah. Yes, he should. I think he should for a few reasons. The first is that by the time he got the ball, he had no other option. His only option once he got the ball, other than to settle for the draw, was to was to kick down for kick long and invite New Zealand to make the decision. Do they run it back or do they kick it out? But the England had got to the point from 19 points down that they, they'd achieved something already. And I can understand from the way that the kickoff went. I don't think it wasn't it wasn't their intention. By the way, by the way, this com- comes into a thing for me is people seem to under underrate how important kickoffs are. Like, yeah, exactly. I, I say this as a Scotsman That's who, for it. my entire life, has watched the Scotland's national team guddle kickoffs. Yeah. Um, is and and speaking to Stuart Barnes uh, in the press room the other um, on Saturday, he was waxing lyrical about how amazing the Argentinians are generally at kickoffs and mm. and chasing them. Um. And you have to say it was a hell of a good kickoff from New Zealand. There was pressure. England were having to catch it and then immediately go on the back foot. Senior players were tied in, like Owen Farrell and Smith sort of had to had to make a decision. It's just interesting because you mentioned fans streaming past you, and I did witness this, is at least three fans leant over you whilst you were trying to file <laughs> to tell you, to tell the world how annoying it was that Smith yeah. kicked the ball off the park. Yeah, no, and, and it was annoying and it was deflating at, at that moment. And, and I understand... I do understand that we would all like England to have had a go because of we were on this sort of high, really, of what what had happened in the previous ten minutes. I just think they they ha- they can't be on that high. They have to think clearly. And the kickoff, like you say, was was brilliant because if if they if the All Blacks had gone long, there's no decision really for England to make. And also, it, it rules them out of winning the ball back. They made it contestable. Quite easily, Geordie Barrett could have, or whoever it was chasing it, could have won the tap back, and suddenly New Zealand have got a chance to go and win it. England retained the kickoff, but it took. But by the time the ball was available to Ben Youngs, although New Zealand were down to fourteen, they had more men on the feet, on their feet than England did. And given where they what they had just done, I think that felt like a bit of an achievement to them. And if this is World Cup prep, which we keep being told it is, much to our frustration. If that's the World Cup semi-final, you'd play for extra time, don't you? Yeah, I think that's a fair call. I think that's a fair call. It's also about being. I mean, it's a completely different subject. But um, speaking to some uh, speaking to some Kiwis um, about the the situation with cards and twenty minutes of red cards, and those, mm-hmm. and someone said to me on the weekend, it's like, what you're supposed to do? Not challenge at every ruck. To which my response is, yes. That's about game smarts. If you know what the landscape of the global game is right now, you have to be selective, and that's very clearly Marcus Smith in this situation. But 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 also we t- we've talked about Macho Reynal. He was punishing the team in possession all day. The the risk of running, let's say they gone they gone left. I think England had three players up against five defenders. The risk all day was that the ball carrier or that the, the team in possession was going to get penalised. And if you do that within 40, 50 yards of your own goal, Geordie Barrett's going to step up and, and have a shot to win the game themselves. I don't think it would have... I don't think... Certainly Henry Slade was standing with his hands on his head. He didn't want to kick it out. I'm sure Marcus Smith didn't want to kick it out. I just felt that at that moment the circumstances were so against England and the risk of trying to of trying to play 
with the way that Reynal had been refereeing all game, the smart rugby, even if it's not the the, the decision that, that the fans wanted, the smart decision was to go, we've got a draw here, let's take it. Right. Watch this masterful segue. It's all about shot selection, you know, and being aware of what's in front of you. Best example of that this weekend, Shalvo Mamukashvili hitting his jumper in the vital line-out to see the game out for Georgia against Wales. What a bloody day. I don't know how else I'm going to dress this up, Alex. That's the result of the... Okay, well, we're going to talk about Portugal, in fact, and that's an incredible moment. But to, to shift the world on its axis, like Georgia did, by getting a massive win because of all the ex- all the other storylines it, it throws up, I mean, what a result. Unbelievable result for Georgia. And you feel that it's it's deserved not just for what they did on the day, but that you know that the effort that they put in to try and get these fixtures and to be competitive in these games and to and to make the point from the outside of the elite constantly that they deserve greater respect. Um, well, they, there's no better way of doing it than than rocking up to to Cardiff and and eating the Welsh pack alive, which is which is really what happened. And we were at Twickenham early before, way before the England game watching this with a, a sort of a googlish delight as as the Georgian front row just went to work and it was it's not all that often that that scrums become the sort of the, the sexy focal point of a game much to your disgust yeah, but we we've, we've been waiting like, for this moment but it was wasn't it i mean it was and we'll, we'll get on to what it means for wells in a second but that moment for georgia and that moment for scrummagers <laughs> all around the world was 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 just was just brilliant, wasn't it? It was the perfect distillation of everything that you think peak Georgia should be, and it it was incredible. Um, whilst whilst we're in the mood for giving people a sort of inside info as well, is um, <laughs> there is a a rugby world Georgia. There's a there's a version of our magazine that's that's sold in Georgia, and the the union worked very closely with us on that. We were lucky enough to Rugby World Georgia was actually the shirt sponsor when Georgia beat Italy. Uh, recently, which was an incredible moment for us, we were we were absolutely buzzing for that, and there was a potential opportunity to have our name on the shirt uh, for the Wales game, but it, it was not something that we could get across the line. And you know what? I'm just thinking maybe we should have looked down the back of the couch for a spare uh, chest of cash because to be associated with that game, absolutely unbelievable, just incredible. And in fact, if you get an opportunity to go back and listen to the Six Nations special podcast that we did for the Ruck. Um, ahead of the the last tournament, um, you'll hear some some chat from the guys in Georgia and about how all they want is more meaningful competition. And I've been speaking to some of those guys over the last week, anyway. And it's it's not going away. They want more meaningful competition. Um, there's real question marks about uh, you know the validity of continuing to play where they are in rugby Europe, um, particularly from a, a club point of view. Now the Worcester and Wasps, uh, their travails meant that. We couldn't see a Black Lion side that's made up almost entirely of Georgian national team players playing in Europe uh, this season. They, those guys compete in the European Super Cup, which isn't quite the standard they want to be at. Um, they have played in South Africa before their version of the Curry Cup. They are heading out to South America to play against. Uh, that's been announced. They're playing in the Slar, which will soon be rebranded as Super Rugby Americas. Um, so they are des- they are desperately looking for an avenue to play uh, greater rugby. And the problem is, is that we're just keep hearing this banging and banging and banging and Six Nations have got cotton wool in their ears. 
Um, and it's hard to ignore that noise now um, because of this result in front of the world in mm. Cardiff. On the other side of that coin, though, Alex, is it's getting harder and harder to ignore what's happening for Wales at the moment under Wayne Pivak. Now, do you say that's all his fault? Is it con- continued issues in the country and how they're, they're handling their rugby? Can this be turned around or have we reached the point of no return? Well, I think we know, just just as you were answering that, you reminded me of uh, a tweet this morning from Peter Jackson, the great rugby journalist who was at, at the Wales game. And, and he had reminded me of the Wales-Georgia game from 2017 when Wales were 10-0 were up. Georgia came steaming back at them and after a yellow card to Thomas Francis, Wales went uncontested at the scrum, which denied Georgia the platform they would have opted for right at the very end on, on Wales's line to try and push for a, a, a try to, to draw the game. So as, as as Jacko said, this would have tasted all the sweeter to Georgia, given what, what happened those years ago. Wales... I mean, we've had endless conversations about this on this pod, haven't we? Mark Evans has been on with a real, a real kind of intricate insight into the structural issues that, that that Welsh rugby has. As for the national team right now, I think Warren Gatlin knew what he was leaving behind. He had got the most out of one of the the Welsh rugby generations. You know, Wales have have shone brightly down the years at, at certain times. I think I think he knew he was handing over a structure and a team that was aging and that would have was going to require pretty major surgery if wales had the opportunity to bring in someone now to give sort of the new coach bounce then i think it would it would work because it's short term and they do have experienced class players there but i just feel when you look at the the wales record this year and losing at home to a resurgent italy losing at home to to georgia who are demonstrably stronger than than they have been are still considered shock results for a country of Wales' standing. And I think Pivac will probably hold on to his job because there'll be financial reasons and it'll be they'll be wanting to probably recruit someone new post post World Cup. But you just wonder and it's hard to know exactly whether the, the players are still with him, but it doesn't it doesn't look like it. it. Doesn't look like there's a faith in in where they're going. Tell you what's you know, fascinating is is how we all talk about oh well we've passed this this post in the ground that means we're too close to the Rugby World Cup to make any changes. How bad does it have to get before you go? You know what? Yeah, I don't. I, Someone it, else should take in because it, because sorry, just just to go on this is it was, a, it was a thought that occurred to me at the weekend is how rare is it? Mario Ledesma with Argentina, nothing was going right, and he he put his hands up and said, "Lads, I I have got to go. This is this is just not working," and they've turned things around incredibly with Michael Cheka and obviously they've now got another year to work with him and that and he's has always wanted that to be a short-term appointment and it seems like they've got a plan in place for taking over from him already but it's it's strange how few people do that in this day and age few coaches go this this just doesn't match yeah that was a that was a big decision really that Ledesma made and 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 Cheka is the perfect person to bring in and had he been available, he's exactly the kind of coach who I think could make a difference, a short-term difference with with Wales. And I think my concern about Wales is that that's all that they're really able to do because the structure and the, the player development and the way that, that the game is in Wales at the moment, you know, it's, it's been it's been top-heavy for so long because Gatlin had the players and he was delivering the results. And now I think we're seeing the, the result of that 
Yeah, and the other thing though, of course, is that somehow we've got games outside of the test window. So Wales are playing again. Yeah. And they're playing against Australia, who at this point must be held together by sticky back plastic because the five game tour is savage. Five game tour after their their full season is just crazy stuff. And they're just gonna limp on through. So I don't know what we can learn from that match either. They've been limping through all year. They were they were patching their team together when England were, were down there in the summer. That first test was was extraordinary with players dropping, uh, Quade Cooper dropping out before kickoff, and then injuries in the first 10, 15 minutes, and then Ricards and whatever. They the player port, the number of players they've used this year must be enormous. And if you're looking at the value of test matches, you know Wales will go into that game without their without any players based outside of Wales, and Australia go into it with whoever's fit with an Aussie accent and and available to play. I mean, it's that is about as low grade a tier one test match as you're as you're probably going to find. So there we go. Brilliant for Georgia. 13-12 winners over Wales. South Africa warmed up, or half their team warmed up for the England test with 63-21 win in Italy. I think the box, although they lost in Paris and they lost in Dublin both really narrowly. Uh, I was talking to Stuart Barnes before the England game. They they, they do look like they, they know what they're doing. That They they look dangerous. Um it's they, amazing what having Willie LaRue as a as a as a mate, playmate isn't it? Will do for you. Isn't it? What a I mean, such an influential presence at, at the back. Um and yeah, I think I I think even though that they're missing players that England are gonna be will need to be on guard for them. Uh where else? Scotland Argentina, what a madcap game that was. 52-29 win for the Scots and almost as many red cards, or almost as many cards. I mean, a bit of old fashioned biff in that one as well. Yeah. There's a funny moment where um, there was a fair bit of chirping going on from uh, Montoya uh, from the Argentines and he got a bit of lip back from Scotland captain Jamie Ritchie to be like, you know, wind your neck and, and then almost straight away Jamie Ritchie's in the mixer for uh, a bit of handbags and off he goes uh, with the yellow cards yeah, uh, you'd put Clintons out of business if they'd <laughs> lost that many cards The um, it was but on the other side of that is, is People in Scotland are pretty pleased because they've learned something from this. And the lesson of that is is you should have picked Finn Russell all along. <laughs> um, you know, it's it's hard to get away from. And it's Scotland are in this strange position where whatever the relationship is like with head coach and playmaker, they need each other. Yeah. Because it's when he's on form and firing, Finn Russell can just play the Scotland team like an instrument it's it's when you you already see good stuff like great stuff from someone like Darcy Graham who's having a hell of a year by the way um and deserves just huge credit but to have guys like that playing in a system with an on-form Finn Russell just brings the best out of them so it's yeah lessons learned but it might not be the lessons that some people wanted to learn um but now Scotland's um end their end their their test year you know Aware of what things need to happen in time for the Six Nations. I know this isn't this isn't the first time this question will have been asked this autumn, but what is Gregor Townsend trying to achieve by is he is he trying to rile um, Finn Russell so he comes in angry and and performs, or is he trying to actually find a way of playing that doesn't rely on Finn Russell? It's, see, I, I can't understand why he. It's bad coaching, isn't it? If you if you can't forge a good relationship with your most important player. That's bad coaching, surely. It's. I certainly think this conversation could have been staved off if some of the decisions made uh, on other players ha- to play fly half had paid off. 
Uh, I suppose it's a kind of uh, we'll never know because yeah. Adam Hastings got absolutely obliterated against Fiji and that chance was taken away. Adam Hastings couldn't be picked for the first game. So whatever happened, it was going to be Blair Kinghorn at 10 for the first game because it was outside of the test window. Um, but, you know, if Adam Hastings has come in and played the best he's played for Gloucester, for Scotland, then maybe this was all academic. Um, you'd still have people going, you're picking Ross Thompson to be your third fly half when you could have Finn Russell and allow him the opportunity to play his way in. Um, so in many senses, that's kind of blown up. Yeah. I, I, I do like Adam Hastings. I do think he's a class player. But I just think the way the way that Finn Russell can complement the other players that Scotland have, and and if Scotland going to win, they 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 need they need some genius. And I think and he... I think I think more important than what coaches are saying or doing or anything than that is the fact that if you watch that game on uh, on Saturday back, is that other players just loved playing with Finn Russell when he was in that yeah. form, and that's that's the important thing going forward. You could see Hogg and Graham and. And Harris, you could see just how happy they were to be playing in in that. And I mean, obviously, Ali Price absolutely loves to playing with with Finn Russell, their their best mate. Yeah, of course, it's makes sense. That and it's game. not it's not just the you know I, I think back to two Calcutta Cup games, the last two I think they were up at up at Murrayfield, and it's not just the genius passes that he can throw, but either one over the top to Hugh Jones and and a, and a try seventy meters later. Last year it was it was the canniness of stretching England left and right with two cross kicks, and you end up with a, England up with a player in the bin, and like that's just he just sees things in a way that Scotland that, that very few others have, and I don't think Scotland can do without it. As good as Adam Hastings is, I just don't think they can they can do without him. Uh, right, he's heading back to France this week, back to France, who've just completed an undefeated. Yeah, I think they're only the third team to have done it. Beat Japan 35-17. Uh, Grand Slam year. Undefeated under Fabian Galtier. Um, things are looking pretty good for the French, aren't they? You've got to take your hat off to them because they're without Antoine Dupont, um, who was rightly banned for taking Ches and Colby out in the air. And they have Luku come in, who you know just seems to know, know what's going on with this French team. They have to bring on Matthew Jalibert, who has a cracker of a game off the bench. You know, it's been him and Ntamak going at each other for, for the starting position for a while. But both of those guys, they're just test quality. It's just mm. it's just easy to see. And they're clicking in 10 out of 10 for the year. It's We'll get onto it later. But it's almost surprising that we, after all that, we've uh, only seen... Two French names in the uh, the World Rugby Team of the Year. Um, it's almost like, almost like, people completely, completely have put all their chips on Ireland winning in New Zealand as the <laughs> moment of the year. Well, I think it probably was, um, but I I know what you mean. And and actually, just on the Sean Edwards front, France have signed up Sean Edwards for four more years, and not for the I think probably about the third time he was available on the market. And England haven't got their ducks in a row and someone else has signed him up. And it feels like that's just a a marriage that's never meant to never a relationship that's never meant to happen, England and, and Sean Edwards. I can under, but, I can kind of understand it, by the way, is in that firstly, 
this French team at the moment, why would you not tie yourself to that long term? Because it's a hell of a generation that's going to be there for a yeah. while. Um, so, you know, they could have a real dominant period if everything clicks for them. So I can understand why you want to be in that. But I suppose it's kind of also part of that that thing of, of your reputations. You know, some players' reputations grow massively when they're not playing. Yeah, Maybe yeah. it's that. You know, why would you want to step into to Twickenham when it's like this? Well, you're definitely, you're, uh, with France, you're definitely working in a in a system that's, that is, has found a way to work. I mean, it's as complicated as the English system, but they've at the moment there's a harmony and there's a there's a joint vision that's that's working, and they've offered him four years, and he's always said job security is one of the most important things for him. And at a point when England might have been interested, they don't yet know who their next head coach is, so they're not in a position to talk to him. So, um, so good on good on Sean, frankly. So Ireland head into World Cup year number one in the world. They signed off with a thirteen ten victory over the Wallabies. France head into World Cup year undefeated, Grand Slam champions. New Zealand head into World Cup year with six wins and a and a draw out of seven, starting to look very much like the mould selves again, uh, with, with with Joe Schmidt being pretty important addition into their their coaching team. South Africa looking all right. The rest the rest are all a bit a bit trying to find themselves. I think heading into into next year. Um, so there's a lot hanging on the Six Nations. I I think coming up. And talking about big years, next on the ruck, Thomas Appleton, the Portugal captain, on what will be quite a remarkable World Cup campaign for them. Joining us now on the line from Lisbon is is Tomás Appleton, the captain of the the victorious Portugal side who who drew with the United States on Friday in in Dubai to qualify, to, to win the qualifying tournament. And, and book their place at Rugby World Cup 2023. Thomas, thank you for joining us. Have you? Uh, how's the head? Have you? Have you? How long did the partying go on after the uh, after that result? Uh, it was it was amazing. The party uh, went on till uh, till Saturday night. We travelled. Uh, we travelled on Saturday uh, to to Lisbon, and we, to be honest, we partied all night. It was one of the best moments of our lives. So. We need to enjoy it all together. Absolutely. So for anyone who hasn't seen it, take us back to the closing stages of that game against the USA. You, you knew that a draw would be enough to qualify for the World Cup on points difference, but you were trailing and you were virtually on your own line with about three minutes left. Yeah, it was... To be honest, it's, it's, a, weird, it's a weird feeling. It's a weird sensation. We at On the last three minutes, we have a scrum on our five metres. Uh... But to be honest, I think the team was pretty confident that it wasn't over and we still had time to, because the points difference was three points and we just needed we just needed that kick uh, to win. Uh, and to be honest, we were pretty confident uh, in in that scrum. And uh, fortunately, we won the penalty and everything went well after that. So. It unfolded from there. You marched downfield, a couple of penalties, and then what are you thinking when that last kick's being lined up? Uh, I was just uh, I have no, no words to describe it you know I was just, I was really confident that and to be honest Samuel has a, a great a great kicking uh, kicking game and I was really confident uh, on that kick we have a we have a, a missed we have a, a drop goal that hit the post 10 seconds before uh, and I was just thinking that this cannot be possible we cannot uh, we cannot lose this. So, yeah, it was pretty good. 
Um, for those that didn't see it, Samuel Marquez uh, kicked, kicked the, well, to get the draw, but what was a winner. Tomas, I was just wondering if you could tell me a bit about your scrum half um, and the, because that is a hell of a lot of pressure for one player to be under. Yeah, it is. But, you know, that Samuel, he's been, he's been with us for, for quite a few times. He's, he's, really, he's a really confident player. He, his age also helps. Um, he played in, in big stages. He played in France uh, for a lot of years. And if there was one person who, who would get that kick, I think it would be Samuel. Well, um, what's your story? You, you have a Portuguese first name, but a, but a very Anglo-Saxon English. surname. Yeah. So yeah, my great great grandfather uh, was English, and he moved to Portugal uh, a, f- a few long years ago. Uh, yeah, but all my all, all of my family is Portuguese and live in, live in Lisbon, uh, in, around Portugal, but mostly in Lisbon. Uh, and yeah, I lived all my life uh, in England. Apart from the year I played in, in uh, I live all my life in Portugal. Apart from the year I played in England. Uh, Where did you play in England? In Darlington Mountain Park. Okay, and and so how did you find rugby? Was was that an influence from your grandfather or? Uh, no, no, no. Actually, it was an influence from my older brother. Uh, my my dad played rugby, but not in a not in a pretty big, uh, just in college and, and everything. And then my brother, who is also a Portuguese international, he played. Uh, he already already left the, the national team, but he played for the national team for a few years. And when I was young, he, he was my influence. Amazing. So let's look ahead. You're in a World Cup group with Wales, Fiji, Australia, and the Georgia team who've just beaten Wales. Yeah. I mean, tough. yeah. T- 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 tough. Tough group. But can, can you draw, I mean, for, yeah, first of all, just the prospect of facing teams yeah. of, of, that, of that stature, Australia, Wales, Fiji. Yeah, it's 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 amazing. I think it's a it's an amazing experience and an amazing opportunity for us. We have a few games on the last, I would say, last year. We played Japan in November and we played Italy, uh, the Italy and Argentina fifteen in July. Uh, and I think, and I think um, we showed, I think we showed uh, on those games that we can we can make a, make an impact and we can. Uh, start starting to show ourselves uh, on the rugby on the rugby international stage. So, uh, yeah, I would say so. Um, Tomash uh, recently spoke um, a few months ago to your head coach Lagi Ske, um about what the future would hold if Portugal qualified for this World Cup, and there's a lot of talk about how we'd love to see more investment in the Lusitanos team, for example, <clears throat> to see. A, a team made up of Portuguese talent playing at higher standards. Is that the goal now? Is that what you guys need in the year to build up to such a, a massive World Cup to to really raise the bar of rugby that you guys are playing against? Yeah, I would say the path to I'll say the path for Portuguese rugby would be definitely to get a, a professional ideally to get a professional championship, but at least to get a professional team uh playing abroad. We've doing this we've been doing this with Musitan. Uh, for the last, so we started last season, and I think we, we gave a pretty pretty good response. Uh, and to be honest, I think we have so much talent in Portugal that we should we should use it, and we should uh, we should get the potential uh, that we have playing in, in bigger stages. 
Uh, at the moment, we have a lot of players who went to France to play uh, in 32 and uh, Nacional and all of that. Those places, yeah. But I think we need a professional. We need a professional team. The Portuguese talent, as you said. And just finally, Tomas, I was just wondering if you could give our listeners a bit of an account, uh, a bit of an assessment of the kind of rugby that young, talented players in Portugal like to play. Because for those that get to watch you, you know, it's really infectious. It's really fun. There's a lot of offloading and outside breaks. Uh, you've got players like Rafael Storti, who just can't stop scoring. Yeah. Um, Rodrigo Marta, um, you know, Pinto, Sousa Guides. Like, there's there's exciting young talent, particularly in the back. So I was just wondering if you could give us a bit of a flavour of the Portuguese style that we should expect to see. Yeah, I think it's 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 it, it works like that because we started to play rugby for fun, and we've been playing rugby for for fun for to just to enjoy the game and enjoy the sports for like I I speak for myself. I, I played rugby because I enjoy it for the last twenty years, and the way to enjoy it, at least for us, you know, is not a it's it's like a spectac- spectacular rugby that we want to play. Uh, and if you have the, t- the chance to score back to back tries from uh, especially with our backs and speed uh, on our rugby, that's just perfect, and that's not the way how we like to play. I think as soon as Patrice got into the team, he gave us a really, I don't want to say it, but maybe like a French flair uh, to our team. Uh, and I would say, yeah, that's the that's the Portuguese DNA, just to play with speed and play with high tempo, uh, spotting great tries from back-to-back. So it sounds like Fiji v Portugal could be one of the, the hot tickets at the World Cup then, two teams... <laughs> Determined to go and play the way that that, that that we all love watching. Yeah, I would say I would say it would be a, a great match. I I think it's a different a different kind of rugby. Uh, they also have really strong. They, you know, they have the, the Fijian the Fijian style who play with a lot of offloads and quick game. But are, they're also um, really really strong boys. Uh, but I think they we we want. A fast game as well, but a bit more structured, I would say. Yeah, but definitely a great game to watch. Brilliant. Well, listen, enjoy this, enjoy the achievement already, and and we we all very much look forward to watching you guys play at the Thanks World Cup next year. Massive congratulations! And thank you very much. And isn't it great for the global game that that, that countries like like yourselves are qualifying and that Georgia are beating Wales? Yeah, I think I think we we, we need, I think the world need need to this we to have more teams more teams competing uh, against each other and have more teams shocking the world like Georgia did uh, like Georgia did against Wales and uh, I think Portuguese the the world rugby needs this. Wonderful, Thomas. Thank you so much for joining us. Congratulations again, thank you and we'll see you at the World Cup. Okay, see ya. Bye bye. Thank you. Bye bye. That was great to hear from Tomas, who who was uh, qualifying for the World Cup on Friday, and as you could probably hear in the background, was was back at work on Monday. Uh, it really shows the the difference between the haves and and have nots in in World Rugby. But brilliant to hear about Portugal's story and partying through the night Friday, Saturday, and uh, I imagine he's just finding a way through work today, uh, like the rest of us would be. Um, coming up now on on the rock, like I mentioned, Will Kelleher was down in Monaco. He grabbed some time with Alan Gilpin just to discuss the Razi Erasmus situation. The South African director of rugby serving a two-week ban for more public criticism of match officials. (laughs) 
You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. As we know, what happens at the top level of the game, at the international league level of the game, is what filters down to a Sunday morning. And so, if if that's going to translate into parents taking, you know, mobile camera footage of refereeing on a on a Sunday morning match at community level and criticise a referee online, we've got to be able to deal with that. Have you seen that? Yeah, I think we're yeah. seeing more of that, and right. you know, you certainly see that across other sports. So we want to make sure that that kind of respect for the match official is so important in rugby and such a, a differentiator for rugby compared to other sports and, and the value of the game is protected and what was their reaction to it because sorry I haven't said anything to us um, would you hope that they would come out and be strong on this as well yeah look I think they've accepted South African rugby have accepted the position we've taken you know they've got their own uh, challenges around how they've got to approach that obviously Rassi is, a, is an employee of South African rugby they've yeah. got to go for their own for their own steps um, and as I say I'm sure I'm sure Rassi doesn't doesn't necessarily agree with the decision, but you know we've got to move forward from that. Sure. And, and, and part of that is having a dialogue about what's working and not working. Thanks to Will for sending us that from the middle of uh, what sounded like a pretty loud party. Um, uh, I'm pleased World Rugby took quick action. I'm, I guess I'm slightly disappointed. It was only two weeks. I think if you ban someone for as long as Razzie was banned for, for him to then come and do something very similar, I think two weeks is is pretty limited. But I know that they wanted to take action quickly in order to affect these current games. And I think it's I think the point that Alan Gilpin made is spot on. I I know that some of the abuse that was sent through so um Razi's argument is he he wasn't talking to about the referees. He was talking to South African fans and he was being sarcastic or whatever. Well what it did was trigger a torrent and I'm not I'm not even exaggerating there of of abuse and threats being sent through to the Barnes family, uh, which which was referred to actually by the the sort of semi apology um, that Razzie posted, although I don't think it was taken as much of an apology on this side of of the world. Suspension was the only like they had to take action because it is, it is getting to a point where leading referees in the world are they don't want to take charge of games involving the Springboks. We've seen you know, what happened to Nick Berry, what's happened now. There is it's having an impact on officials, it's, and what Razzie's doing is is um, making acceptable in South Africa with with his acolytes who want to go on the attack the kind of um, abuse that, that these officials have received, and it's totally it's abhorrent. It totally breaks all the values that that rugby is supposed to stand for. And whether this two game ban is enough to persuade him never to do it again, I I can't say I'm. I'm certain, but I hope the next time it, it's it's even stronger. Anyway, back to the fun part of Monaco. 
awards, award winners. Uh, we had men's player of the year, Josh van der Fleer, women's player of the year, Ruahe Demont from uh, New Zealand, the, the Black Ferns captain, coach of the year, Wayne Smith. Breakthrough was Italy's wonderful fullback and Capuozzo. And the, the women's breakthrough uh, was Ruby Tui, who just uh, electrified that tournament for for the women, uh, for, for, the, for the Black Ferns. Al, as you as you referred to earlier, there was there was a a World Fifteen of the Year. I don't yep. know whether we could just rattle through that and see whether who you might have added in. How about I go through who was selected and you just jump in at any point with alternatives that you would have picked. Okay, now obviously this well, is very subjective, but at the very least there are two nailed on people. That which way are you going to read this? You going from fifteen? Uh, I go. Let's go. Yeah, let's go fifteen. Fifteen and one to nine. Okay. You're not going to hear much from me because I okay. accept the subjective nature of uh, the backline and and all that. Kind okay. Of stuff. All right. Let's go. Let's go. Right. Fifteen was Freddie Stewart. I agree. Okay. The wings: Marika Corabetti and Will Jordan. Mm-hmm. Will I Jordan, for sure. Yeah. I think Emiliano Buffelli had a real great chance of being in that. Yeah. Damian Delende and Lucano Am, centre partners. So Lacanio Am is an interesting one because he's only played a handful of yeah. tests this season. Uh, I'd say that more as a reward for the year before. I mean, just a, a phenomenal, phenomenal player, but tough to gauge. But uh, you know, let's think about that and then move yeah. forward towards the heavies. So do, Antoine Dupont and Johnny Sexton were the halfbacks. I, I feel that Dupont would probably justify in this team. He was also on the shortlist for World Player of the Year, which I felt was more a reflection again of the year before, personally. I agree with you on that. Right. Because, I'll tell you for why, is because if you're going to pick a French player to be the nominee for World Player of the Year, it had to be Gregory Aldrit. It had to be. Just had what a phenomenal season the number eight had. Yeah, I mean, annoyingly, as with these, because, because rugby can only operate in silos, they didn't consider his contribution to La Rochelle winning the Champions Cup, which is nuts, obviously, because he was massive in that as well. But uh, yeah, he was on my list. So let's go one to eight. Ellis Genge, Malcolm Marks, Tyg Furlong. Um, okay. You can... Maybe maybe one day we'll see one of them actually win the main award. Yeah, I mean, Cyril Bai or, or Ellis yeah. Genge, you know, those. I'd like to see a wrestle between those two for that number one shirt. But you could say, you know what, fair enough. Yeah, those guys. and yes, justice for the heavies. One day they'll be running in the running for a player of the year. Second row was Tyg Byrne and Sam Whitelock. So I'm going to stop you here, right? Because Eben Etzebeth's last year deserves recognition, and there hasn't been in any form for him. Sam Whitelock is an incredible player, but if you're going to say, okay, Byrne on the floor in form is unplayable and in New Zealand he was exceptional so if you're going to say that I'm all for not having Sam Whitelock and having Eben Etzebeth yeah I think that's right. I think I think Whitelock is just I mean he's just the model of consistent effective second row play but I would I'm I, I'm with you on that I think Etzebeth's argument for being in that for this year his, uh, not, his not just stuff. that, Etzebeth should have been shortlisted for World yeah. of the Year. And again, if Am's only played five tests yeah. this year, then surely he would have no problem with his mate taking his place on the on the shortlist. It should look, 
this is what, and I know why this doesn't happen. It should have been all forwards on the World Player of the Year shortlist, but judging panels of ex-players um, who potentially might not ever look outside their own country, or if they do, very rarely. It's not a surprise to me that it's not. But Itzebeth should have been right in the mix for World Player of the Year, and he should be in this team. Brilliant. Uh, okay, Barrow, Matero at six, Josh van der Fleer at seven, and Gregory Aldrit at eight. So, again, Argentina, phenomenal win against New Zealand. Again, <gasps> results against New Zealand seem to matter really heavily in this <laughs> list. Let's look at who the judging panel was. Um, but, you know, if you... Considering Ardi Sevilla, in my book, should be winning World Player of the Year. Anyway, uh, Josh van der Fleer, by the way, has had a phenomenal season. Yeah. But Ardi Sevilla has been playing rugby on another planet sometimes. And whilst New Zealand have been trying to figure themselves out again, he's just gone, don't worry, lads, climb on my back. I'll carry you forward. Um, he is an exceptional, exceptional rugby player and he deserves credit. And to not be... Not win, to not win the World Player of the Year, to not be nominated, to not even make this 50. I don't think there'd be anyone that would complain if you said, Sevilla plays with loads of different numbers on his back. What position does he play anyway? He just does what he wants. Uh, yeah. You can stick a six on Ardy Sevilla's back and no one's going to complain. Um, yeah. As good a player as Matera is, as phenomenal as some of the moments for Argentina have been this season, and they, they deserve recognition. It's just that. Screw up. There, I'm done. That, that's, weirdly, that selection looked to me like it was... You know he's he was outstanding for in Super Rugby for the Crusaders, topped off with a couple of massive games for the Pumas, and yet we know that they're not allowed to to uh, consider the body of work at a club provincial level. So it was just a couple of big performances. I think Surveyor for me, I agree. I, I he's a hell of a player. He's a he's a great guy. I spent a bit of time in his company last week and um, wrote wrote an interview with him. And we had um, on the back of it, I was asked to do my my top four versus the top four that that, that uh, World Rugby had picked, and and Josh van der Fleer was the only one who appeared in in both. Uh, I picked Ardi Surveyor, I picked Gregory Aldrich, like you would have done, and then my last spot went to Emiliano Buffelli from Argentina. You can't stop the boff. Can't stop the boff. But you're right. Even at Beth, hell of a shout to be in the top four. So to then not even make the team is is mad. All right, we'll wrap up this episode with our usual feature, God or Goddess of the Week. Although, Al, are you resurrecting the Mark Evans devil? Uh, yeah, well, I do have a, I do have a god. Well, gods okay. of of the week, uh, a collective. You could say a pack of them, in fact. Um, but I'm going to start with the devil of the week, Matt Williams on oh. on on television talking absolute nonsense about HIA and removing players for brain injuries. Just devil of the week get in the bin whatever you want to say like just yeah yeah all right yeah come on now um but on the positive uh if it was to nominate one person i mentioned him earlier shalva mamukashvili the the replacement hooker for georgia just the embodiment of passion and ferociousness um in the middle of that scrum but to be honest Georgian's scrum against Wales in the, the closing stages of that test match in Cardiff. Gods of the week, crown them now. I'll just just explain what Matt Williams was saying. I mean, it, for, for those for those of our listeners who who haven't seen it or, or heard it, they should probably realise so, how bonkers it was. Yeah, so in the, the Ireland-Australia test match, scrum half Nick White went down looking very wobbly, looking like he wasn't able to orientate himself at all. You know, if you show visual signs like that, 
there's no debate, there's no tests that need to be done. You're off the park. That's it. Game over. He went off, came back on, and Matt Williams was effectively defending the system by saying, oh, you know, he went off and got doc- spoke to doctors. They sent him back on. Now, it shouldn't have gotten to this point. It, they should have been cut off before there was ever any case of that. And, oh, guess what? Since then, he's been stood down for a 12-day period, so can't play again. So it just makes Matt Williams look all the more ridiculous. For mm. I mean, how used to saying that, are we? But... <laughs> Well, it's always impossible to disagree with Shalva Mamakashvili as being as being God of the Week as a representative of, of what the Georgians did. So my hearty endorsement goes to him with a with a real strong hat tip to to Tom Zamelton Appleton, who we, we spoke to earlier. Again, embodying what his team had done, Portugal qualifying for their second World Cup. Um, just outstanding. So it really was a weekend for 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 the rising nations of of the global game. And I'm sure in the editions to come of Rugby World, Al, you'll be all over the Georgians and the Portuguese and, and telling their stories up to the World Cup. Wheels are already in motion, Alex. Class, class. Well, go and grab Al's first edition. will be out in a few weeks. Al, thanks thanks for coming on, on on such a big day for you. Go get back to the day job running Rugby World magazine. And uh, we will be back next week to review the end of the Autumn Nation series and then almost immediately look ahead to European rugby. Seems mad. Please like, subscribe, wherever you listen to your pod. This episode, as always, was produced and edited by Alfie Reynolds, who will be pitch side for Talk Sport at Twickenham on Saturday. Join us next week. Thanks, everyone. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 